The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Good to see you, good to be back with you. Before we jump into this new series, I just want to remind you and encourage you to be a part of Vision Night Sunday night at our Apex campus, 6 o'clock. It only lasts one hour. This is the only time of the year that all of our campuses get together. We worship together. We celebrate. We're going to celebrate some wins from this past year that God has allowed us to accomplish, to be a part of. And we're going to be sharing with you some vision over the next 12, 18, 24 months that's going to allow us even more effectively to impact the triangle to make a difference throughout the world so i hope you'll carve out an hour of time it's not that big of a deal we promise to have you out in an hour be a part of it if you haven't seen the apex campus it would be a great opportunity for you to go and see how your kingdom investment is being used to reach that community so six o'clock apex i hope you'll be there now even if you didn't grow up in church there are a lot of stories that you're probably familiar with and you don't even realize you're familiar with them but you've heard about them for example if i say david you say goliath right even right now if you watch survivor the two teams are what david and goliath so in our media in our culture they know about this bible story if i say adam you say noah and the jonah and the well, it's really technically a big fish. It never says it so well, but I'm going to give you credit for that one. Okay. Daniel in the lion's den. It got a little quieter on that one. How about this? The ten. Yeah, you saw the movie, right? So you're pretty familiar with some of these stories. But this weekend, we're going to begin a new series that's based on maybe the only chapter in the Bible that you actually know by heart. And even if you can't recite it word for word, you know Psalm 23. You can just kind of stumble through it with everybody else. If you're at a wedding or a funeral, you, you got to say it. You can probably get through it. It's kind of like Christmas Eve. Uh, by the way, let me just say this and declare it, and I don't really care what you think. November 1st is the beginning of Christmas season. Just so you know that. If there's any question about it whatsoever, I know you Thanksgiving purists. But anyway, that's when, in fact, I was decorating my house and a lady came by and she said, oh, you're one of those people. And I'm like, that's not even politically correct. You can't even say that anymore, can you? And I said, what do you mean by that? She said, you decorate your Christmas right after Halloween. And I said, listen, you just had your house decorated for the last month celebrating the Prince of Darkness, witches and thieves and goblins and ghosts. Let me celebrate the baby Jesus. She said, well, what about Thanksgiving? I said, I'm thankful for baby Jesus, right? <laughs> right? So she just walked off. That's why I have to move so often. But anyway, uh, here's my question. We know Psalm 23. So on Christ Christmas Eve, you know, I love it because you guys, you guys, when we light the candles, you know, at the end, everybody's feeling all, you know, and, and we sing Silent Night. And you guys crush that first verse because everybody knows, you know, about the yonder virgin, mother and child stuff. But you get to the second verse, and this is what it sounds like up here. Silent night, holy night, 
like, you know, you can jump back in there somewhere. And that's kind of are you with the 23rd Psalm. You know there's a valley that you're going to walk through, and there's something about laying down in a pasture, and you got a Lord that's a shepherd, and you don't want anything else. and stuff. So you can get through it. Now, here's my question. Why? What makes Psalm 23 so unique? After all, there are 149 other psalms that most of us know very little about. What makes Psalm 23 so special? Well, we're going to discover the answer to that question over the next few weeks. And I think what you're going to learn in this series is that when you really begin to take this psalm apart, when you really begin to look and study these verses, you will discover that David introduces us to a concept in Psalm 23 that can actually change the course of our lives. Let me give you an example. Do you ever feel like the pressures of life just are overwhelming? Do you ever feel like you're just getting beat down? I mean, do you ever get up and, and, you, and, you, and you turn on the news in the morning and you feel like the world has just gone mad? It's like it's spiraling out of control. I don't know about you, but I woke up Thursday morning excited for a day. You know, I'm going to work. I'm going to. I'm going to go to the NC State game because it's a Thursday night. You know, I get to go to that game. I'm going. I'm excited because I'm going to record the Steelers trashing the Panthers. At least that's what I'm hoping. Is that what happened? That's what I'm hoping is going to happen, right? And I can't even stand the Steelers. That tells you how I feel about the Panthers, right? But it's going to be a great day. And then I turn on the news, and I find out that 12 more innocent people have been gunned down in a senseless shooting. And in those moments, don't you just feel this sense of hopelessness, this sense of dread, like what in the world is going on? And I know that Tuesday was election day, and I know we all voted and everything. Let me just tell you something. I know we get all jacked up and we get all excited, but government is not the answer. About half of you statistics hold to it, you know. About half of you 10 years ago voted for President Obama. He didn't fix it. So two years ago, the other half of you voted for Trump. He hasn't fixed it. Congress can't fix a pothole, right? They can't fix anything. But we're going to learn in Psalm 23 that God promises this. He says, if you will make me your good shepherd, I will replace your anxiety with peace. I will replace your hopelessness with hope. I will replace that, that, that zombie-like, death-like existence of just kind of plodding through life. I will replace it with real true life. Understand, that's the kind of God we serve. That's the shepherd that we have the opportunity to follow. So here's the question I want to address this weekend as we kick off the series. Can God really protect me? Can God really take care of me? I mean, as Christians, we, you know, we're great with cliches. We talk to someone, they're going through a tough time, and we're like, well, God has your name inscribed on the palm of his hand. You know, he, num he knows the number of hairs on your head. You know, we're great with cliches, but can he really do that? Can he really protect me? Can God really give me peace in all the stresses, dilemmas, the difficulties of life? Well, we're going to see that the answer is a resounding yes. Now, it's interesting. When I laid out this series, I laid it out starting in Psalm chapter 23, verse 1. But then I thought, you know what? This is the week after election. I guarantee you, because I know how divided our country is, we're going to need some healing. We're going to need some promises of God that we can hold on to. So I decided instead of starting in verse 1 where a normal pastor would start... This weekend, I'm going to kick off the series in verse 5 because verse 5 is made up of four phrases that give us four promises that relates to our good shepherd. So let me just give you the first one, then I'll unpack it. Here it is. The good shepherd diligently prepares our path. He diligently prepares our way. And you can see that in the first phrase of Psalm 23, verse 5. It says, you, talking about the good shepherd, you prepare a table before me. Now, there's no way that you can understand Psalm 23 
without knowing something about shepherd and sheep. Okay, and the timing for me is perfect for this series because I told you I'm getting ready to move to Fuquay, so I'm doing a lot of study of barnyard animals, right? And so this is, this is perfect for me. So let me just give you a little sheep knowledge, and, and we're going to learn it all throughout this series. For example, during the last few weeks of May and into the first few weeks of June, a Palestinian shepherd in the time of David, he would leave his flock down in the valley, and then he would make a scouting trip to new pastures up in the higher elevations. And he would do so to prepare because that's where he's going to take the sheep. So he would leave the sheep in the valley. He would go away by himself and he would find these pasture lands and he would spread salt and minerals around where the sheep uh, were going to be grazing. He would locate the best bedding grounds. And then he would walk through and meticulously he would identify and pull all of the weeds that he knew could be harmful, maybe in some cases even kill the sheep. In other words, he would remove all of the dangers. He was preparing the table so that the sheep could get there in grace. He was preparing the way. He was preparing the path ahead of them. Now, if you're a parent of toddlers, you, you can certainly relate to the Palestinian shepherd because when our kids are small, we do everything we possibly can to childproof our homes, right? We put those locks on the cabinets so the kids can't get the cabinets open. We get rid of anything that a child could choke on. What are we doing? We're preparing the table. We're preparing the way because we know that toddlers will put everything and anything in their mouths. They need protection from themselves. But understand, even as we get older, we're no different. At the end of the day, we're just sheep in need of protection. Lots of times, protection from ourselves. In fact, I was just away with Jeff Eeks. Uh, he's one of our elders, and we were chatting one day and talking about some things that were going on in our lives. And I said, man, Jeff, aren't you Aren't you thankful for the fact of all the times that God protects us, all the times that God intervenes, and we don't even realize what he's doing, but he's saving us from ourselves, and he does it by getting the stuff out of our lives that would prevent us, that would prohibit us from living and experience the life that he has planned for us. He's preparing the table. He's preparing the way. I think if we're honest, all of us can remember times in our life when things didn't work out the way we wanted them to work out. They didn't go as planned. They didn't go the way we dreamed that they were going to go. You know, maybe, maybe you dated somebody through high school and you dated all the way through college and you just had this perfect romance and, and then out of college you got careers and then there was the night you got engaged and it was magical and you planned the wedding and it was going to be the, your dream wedding that you'd always thought about. But before it became a reality, something happened. It began to unravel. It imploded. And that dream was crushed. And you felt like, wow, my dream died. You ever felt like your dream died? Or, or maybe something, a job opened up at work and it was a promotion. And you thought, man, I, I, am the, I am the most likely candidate to get that job. I've prepared. I've paid my dues. This is a perfect situation for me. But when it came right down to it, you didn't get your job. You didn't get that promotion and you felt like your dream was crushed or, or you had a certain school that you wanted to attend out of high school or college or university where you were going to go but you didn't get accepted and you felt like your dream was crushed. All of us have had those experiences in life. But then this is what's interesting. Looking back, often years later, you know what they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. You look back at how things unfolded in your life and you see how God was actually protecting you. You see how God was actually preparing your path. You see that God actually had a better way, a better plan, a better dream for you. I can see this in my life. My life was very, very simple. I was going to go to college. 
I was going to get, get a degree in physical education. I was going to get a, a minor in science. I was going to get a job at a high school. And, but primarily, I didn't mind teaching science, but I really wanted to coach, and I wanted to coach football. And I was going to be diligent, and I was going to apply myself, and I was going to work myself up the ranks. And I could see myself one day coaching on Sunday afternoons. That was my dream. That's a lot better than preaching on Sundays, right? But God had a different dream. And now I look back and think, wow, I'm so glad God crushed my dream so that I could experience a better dream that he had for me. I mean, we just, Laura and I, we just got back from Costa Rica, and we, there we were ministering with our, our, our ministry partner, Tactica, and it's a very unique ministry. They, they work with law enforcement agencies in the area of Central America, and they, they work in the training process, making these officers better, but at the same time, they share the gospel with them, how Jesus can change their life. Many of them have accepted Christ, and these are people in high positions in these different countries. They've accepted Christ. Many of them have gone home. Their, their spouses have seen the change. They've accepted Christ, and now they're, they're implementing change in their countries. We always hear about the corruption in law enforcement, especially in South and Central America, but they're changing that. They're taking their Christian values and ethics back in the workplace, and they're, and they're changing their country from the inside out. But twice a year, Tactica has a conference where they bring in all of these leaders and all of their spouses. And Laura and I got invited to go down to Costa Rica and speak to them this year. And it was so cool because I opened up with a session about living out biblical principles and truths. What does that look like in our lives, our families, the marketplace where we work? And then Laura and I, we did a session together. And we did it on marriage and what it looked like to, to survive a marriage and how to build a marriage and how to fix a broken marriage. And then after that, it was so cool because Laura taught uh, uh, to all of these chiefs of police and people who led SWAT teams, she taught them a one and a half hour session on leadership. And by the way, I always tell people, I want, I'm proud, and she didn't know I'm doing this this weekend, am I going to do it? Laura just published a book on 16 leadership principles that can energize your ministry, maximize your ministry. It's great for every person here if you want to have more influence in your life. But I asked her, I said, honey, you put this down. There's so much you learn because I was at the leadership network in Dallas that ministers with lots of churches. And they said, Mike, you don't know it, but your wife has built one of the, if not the most effective family ministry in the United States. So I, I'm like, see, I always told people she was the brains behind Hope Community Church. I'm just the eye candy. I'm just being honest with you, right? Right? <laughs> But it was so cool to sit there and hear her take these leadership principles about how to treat other people and how to lead other people to make it a more successful organization. And I was just so proud of her. But as we were flying home and I was sitting on the plane, I thought, man, I am so thrilled that God crushed my dream. And actually, this is what I wrote down. I wrote it in the margin of my notes. When your dream dies, that doesn't mean that God's dream for you has died. See, he's got a better dream. His dream's always better. Remember what Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans. How about if we change it? I know the dream I have for you, declares the Lord. A dream to prosper you and not to harm you. A dream to give you hope and a future. But I'm telling you, that's only going to happen. That's only going to become a reality in your life as you begin to more and more trust the good shepherd and to follow him because, see, he knows exactly how to clear the way for you. He knows how to prepare the way. And so the good shepherd, he prepares our path, and he's diligent about it. He is saving us from ourselves when we don't even realize it because he's got a better plan. He's got a bigger dream. Here's the second promise. The good shepherd keeps an eye on our enemies. Psalm 23, verse 5, verse 5 says this, You prepare a table before me, but notice the second phrase. In the presence of my enemy. And again, to understand this, you have to go back to the context of a shepherd in the days of David. Uh, and a big challenge for the shepherds now, now that they're going to take 
their sheep to the higher elevations to graze with the predators that lived in those elevations. So as they're taking the sheep, they had to watch out for any predator, any enemy that may attack the sheep. In other words, the shepherd had to stay on high alert to make sure at all times that the sheep were protected from the enemy. And understand, and we'll see this throughout the series, sheep are the one animal that has no way to protect itself. None whatsoever. That's just the way God created it. And so they were vulnerable to attack, but it was the strays, the loners, that were especially vulnerable. And we talked about this earlier this year in our Battle Tested series. And if you're new to Hope, it was our series on spiritual warfare. I think it would be worth your time to go back and listen to it at gethope.net or on our app. But in the series, we learned that as a Christian, we are in a battle and our enemy is Satan. And the Bible is very, very clear about that. But we also learned that Satan is created being, so he's not omnipresent like God. He can only be in one place at one time. And so the good news is that most of us aren't important enough to undergo a personal attack of Satan. Satan's probably going to attack the president of the United States, a senator, maybe somebody that's a military commander, a king, maybe some incredible uh, spiritual leader like a Billy Graham. We're much more likely to fall prey to what we learned in the series are Satan's cohorts that the Bible calls demons. And if you were here for the series, you may remember that one of the ways the Bible describes a demon, it refers to them like a wolf. And this is what an expert says about wolves. When wolves appear most casual and innocent, even interesting to watch, they are studying you and sizing you up for attack. They're checking you out. They know you better than you know yourself. And my point is simply this. Demons are like wolves. And when it seems like they're just innocently watching you, studying you, they're, they're watching your moves. They're learning your habits. And just like the wolves in Palestine for the shepherd, they're looking for the weak. They're looking for the isolated. They're, they're looking for the one that's alone, by itself, astray. And when they find it, they attack. So when you use the analogy of us and the sheep, think of it this way. This, on the weekends, this is a sheepfold, okay? Okay? Uh, maybe your small group is your sheepfold. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are sheep. Let's just get it out of our system. Let's all together say back. Here we go. Bah. Very good. I, th I think one more time with feeling. Ready? Bah. So we're, we're sheep. We're in the sheepfold. But understand something. There's a wolf that's trying to get us. And so if I were you, I would not be on the fringe of the sheepfold. If I were you, I would not just be out there on the fringe of the church. If I, if I were on the fringe, I suggest, if you're on the fringe, I suggest you move right into the center of the flock. In fact, if you're on the fringe, this is what I would be doing. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, right? I would get in the middle. I would get as close to the shepherd as possible. Now, here's the problem for some of you. For some of you, this idea of church or being connected in biblical community or being in a small group where there's accountability, it's just not a priority. I mean... You're kind of out there as a sheep. You're just kind of wandering and roaming. You're out there isolated. You're doing life all by yourself. And your attitude kind of toward church is, hey, if there's nothing else going on this weekend, I might just go to church. That's kind of your attitude, right? And, and I mean, if my kids don't have a soccer game, we might go to church. Well, here's the problem with that logic. We have Sunday services, morning services at all of our campuses. We have 4.15 and 6 o'clock on Saturday in case you can't make it Sunday. And then if, even if you're out of town Saturday and Sunday, we have 4 o'clock and 5.30 at our Apex campus so you can get there when you get back in town. See, I know your kids aren't playing soccer 24 hours a day. See, I know that right now. You know what the problem is? It's just not a priority. It's just not that important enough. 
Some of you are like, well, as long as there's not a great party on Saturday night that's going to kind of wipe me out on Sunday, I'll probably be at church. Or there's not a game I want to watch, right? Or the weather's not nice so I can go to the beach. I'll probably just go to church this weekend, right? Or there's not a great Domino's championship on ESPN that I want to stay home and watch. I'll go to church, right? Or if I can get an extra hour of sleep. Too soon? Yeah, I'll go to church. My point is, it's just not a priority. Let me just tell you something. Is if that's how you live your Christian life, I'm just telling you. It is just a matter of time before you're going to get attacked. Now this verse promises us that the good shepherd keeps out an eye for us. He protects us from the one who wants to destroy us. But that's depending on us staying close to the shepherd. Staying close to the flock. But that's not the only kind of enemy that the shepherd had to watch out for. Another enemy was the brown adder. It was a snake. And they would literally hide underground. And they could sense when the sheep were moving around. They could sense the vibrations. And when they sensed that the sheep were above ground, they would come up out of their hole and they would bite the sheep on the nose. And sometimes it would become infected. Sometimes it would actually kill the sheep. And so the shepherd would go before the sheep and he would use his staff and he would move around the high grass and he would look for a snake hole. And if he spotted a snake hole, he would take some of that oil that he kept in that leather pouch and he would pour it down into the hole so it would make it more difficult for that snake to slither out. And then he would take the sheep and he would put some oil on their heads. And the oil actually acted as a snake repellent. Now this is what I know about everybody here this weekend. We hate snakes. Everybody hates snakes. You know why we hate snakes? It goes all the way back to the garden. They're crafty. They're evil. They're sneaky. You never know where snakes going to show up. We've had some experience with snakes in our house. Uh, when the boy, we lived in California and we had to move here. We, we were moving here. We didn't have to, to start the church. Uh, we knew that we were moving into a small apartment and the boys had a couple of Siberian Huskies. One year we gave them a female puppy for Christmas. They named her Natasha. You know, she had the beautiful blue eyes. The next year we gave them Nikolai, a little boy puppy, had a brown eye and a blue eye. Little, and so they had these beautiful Siberian Huskies and they'd grown up. And I'm like, yeah, we can't take them with us. And they're like, what? I said, yeah, we're going to have to sell them. And so we had to sell the dogs, and they were devastated. So I had parent guilt. and stuff. So I said, listen, when we finally get settled in North Carolina, when we finally get a house, you guys can get anything you want. We'll, we'll let you get a pet. So my oldest son got a cat. So that's like having a demon, right? You know how I feel about cats. And then my youngest son got a snake. So I got like Satan and demons living right there in my house, right? So Adam got a snake, and he named the snake Homer, and it was going to be a big snake, so we got one of those big old aquariums and put them in. And I thought snakes were kind of boring because when it was little, all I could eat was like little, little mice embryos, right? We'd just throw one in there. When he'd get hungry, he'd find it and eat it. But then they got bigger. We got real mice and rats, you know, you know, and just watched the snake and attack. That was like the coolest thing in the world. You know, we loved it. That's, that's the guy stuff right there. And then we would, you know, we'd feed them small kittens. And No, nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We didn't feed them small kids, but we did, we did feed them those little dogs that wear sweaters. That's just something about me drives me nuts about that. By the way, there's a guy in my neighborhood, and I go to the gym when it's dark, and he tries to sneak out in the morning where nobody can see him, right? And he's got these two little dogs that weigh about four pounds. They got little sweaters on. And you notice how they always just shake all the time. They're useless. I don't know why you people have those things. But anyway, he walks them, and I'm sure he's embarrassed to walk them during the day because other men will see him, right? So I shine my high beams on him and blow the horn and wave every day, right? So I mean, let me just say this. You go home today, and if your wife makes you walk a dog like that, you say, no, put your foot down, right? And let me know how that works out for you. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, Adam had this snake, okay? One day I walked by the aquarium while the, Adam was at school, and the snake was gone. Well, Adam used to put him in his backpack and take him around with him sometimes. So I called Davis Drive Middle School, and I said, I need to speak to my son, Adam Lee. They said, we do not allow students to take calls during the day. I said, well, he may have a snake in his backpack, and the phone hit the desk. <laughs> 
heard it. And he was on the phone like 30 seconds. He said, what's up, Dad? And I said, hey, you don't have Homer in your backpack today, do you? He says, no. I said, okay, I got to go. I got to find Homer. So I called a vet. And I'm like, how do I catch a snake? He said, well, you can't catch a snake. It's going to crawl somewhere up into the dryer or hot water heater, somewhere it's warm. And when it gets hungry, it'll come out. I said, could you be more specific? Could be a week, could be a month. Just depends. You ought to have heard that telephone call when I told my wife, Laura. There's a snake hiding somewhere in our house where it's really comfy, maybe under your comforter, right? And when it's hungry, it'll come out. Doesn't that make you feel better, honey? She hates snakes, right? We forgot about the snake. Weeks went by. We never saw Homer again. We thought maybe the door had opened, he'd slipped out and gone prodigal on us or something, right? And one day I got laundry out of the dryer. No, not there. I went and put it on the bed to fold it. I'm basically a beak man. But anyway, um, and I looked, and the sun was shining through the bedroom window, and all of his glories. Homer was just basking himself, and I picked him up, and we kept Homer. See, that was, but you never know where a snake's going to show up. We hate that. One time I was working in the yard, and Laura had a little garden. She should never plant a garden. I, she has a black thumb. If she plants it, it will die. That's, that's the motto I live by. And so she had this little garden. She wanted to grow herbs and vegetables. And so I'm in the backyard, and she screams. It's a blood-curdling scream. And there's about 30 yards from where she was to the back door. She covered it in two steps. And I said, what is wrong? She said, there is a snake eating a snake in my garden. I said, that's stupid. There is no snake eating a snake in your garden. So I went over there, and there was a snake eating a snake in her garden, right? So I had to get him out of there. But see, now she won't even go in the backyard unless I go and prepare the way, right? Because she's just convinced there's a snake hiding out somewhere just waiting for her. Now, I actually have a point with those stories. You didn't think so? Huh. It's a gift. Some of you have a snake or two hiding in your life. And it's under the surface and nobody can see it, but it's there. And my guess is you're allowing it in your life by telling yourself that you're never, you're never going to get bitten by this snake. You're pretty confident that you have the snake under control. It could be some kind of addiction like to porn or alcohol or some kind of pills. It could be lust. It could be greed. It could be angry, anger. Nobody really sees it, but it's there. In fact, in January, I'm going to do a seven-part series on the seven deadly sins. These are basically snakes that we allow to hide out in our life, and they will take us down if we don't deal with them, right? I mean, I promise you, if you allow those snakes to remain in your life, it's just a matter of time before they're going to bite you. So what do you do about it? Well, remember, you've got a good shepherd who wants to protect you. So my advice is allow the good shepherd to anoint you with his oil. It would be the Holy Spirit who can come into your life. He comes into the time of salvation. He is there to help you live the life that God designed you to live. But you play a part too. These things that you have in your life that you're keeping under the surface that can take you down. See, God can't protect you from yourself. Your role is to bring those things into the light so that they can be dealt with. Remember a few weeks ago, we looked at James 5, 16, where it says, confess your sins to one another or to each other. And we talked about we confess our sins to God so that we can be forgiven. Confess, if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we confess our sins to each other and pray so that we can be healed. We talked about that, emotional healing, psychological healing. And some of you are never going to experience the life that God is designed for you to live until you bring those snakes into the light. And then through God's word and through those of us around you who want to help you, allow us to help God protect you. You got to bring it into the light. Here's the third promise. The good shepherd heals our hearts. Not only does he protect us, he heals us when we get wounded. Uh, the third phrase, you can see it in Psalm 23, verse 5, you anoint my head with oil. And again, to understand this, you have to have a little livestock lesson. There were actually several reasons 
why a shepherd would put oil on a sheep's head if you do the study. One, as I said earlier, kind of like a snake repellent. But another one was like an insect repellent. I mean, insects, I mean, bugs can drive us nuts. They could literally kill sheep. There was one in particular, it was known as the nose fly. A nose fly would try to lay its eggs in the soft membrane of a sheep's nose. And if the fly succeeded, the eggs would become larvae. And if that happened, it would just drive the sheep crazy. And for relief, they would pound their heads against trees and rocks and posts. In fact, in extreme cases, a sheep could kill itself just trying to get some relief. And so whenever a swarm of nose flies appeared, the sheep would panic, they would run, they would scatter, they would toss their heads up and down, they wouldn't sleep, they wouldn't eat. In fact, the entire flock would be disrupted by the presence of just a few flies. So the shepherd, he would anoint the sheep, he would cover their heads with an oil-like repellent. It would keep the insects away. And there would be peace in the flock, at least till mating season. And there was another use for the oil. During the mating season, the rams would become uh, rambunctious, for lack of a better word, right? And, and, and so it wasn't unusual during this time of this mating season for a good old-fashioned headbutt to break out among two rams. And so for the shepherd to prevent injury, he would take the rams and he would anoint their heads and he would anoint their, or their oils with this greasy, oily substance. And the oil allowed the rams, even when they would go head to head, it would, they would glance off of each other instead of hitting each other head on. But even then, they would get wounded, which brings up another reason that the shepherd anointed the sheep. And it was to treat the wounds of the sheep. And the primary purpose was to make sure once the sheep was wounded that it wouldn't get infected. In other words... The shepherd wanted to make sure that today's wound didn't become tomorrow's infection. And again, we're no different than sheep. And we're going to see that next week. And there's a reason that God uses the analogy of the sheep and the shepherd when he thinks about his relationship with us. But just like sheep, we get wounded. I mean, it's just a part of life. We suffer disappointments. We suffer uh, rejection. We suffer, we suffer heartaches. And, and if we're not careful, and if we don't do something about those, those experiences, what happens is it gets wounded. And when we, uh, it begins to get infected. And, and those kind of things begin to lead to bitterness and anger and resentment. And just like the sheep in Psalm 23, we, we need to be treated. I like what Psalm 100 verse 3 says. It says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are, look, the sheep of his pastures. And so understand, the sheep aren't the only ones that need preventative care. They're not the only ones that they need the healing touch of a shepherd. Because, see, in our lives, in our relationships, guess what happens? We get irritated with each other. Sometimes we get mad at each other and we butt heads. And when we butt heads, we get wounded. But you know what I've discovered over 62 years of life? Most of our disappointments and hurts in life don't come from a wolf-sized attack. It's not because your spouse had an affair. Sometimes that happens. It's not because a co-worker or maybe a business partner stole from you. Sometimes that happens. It's not because you were physically or, or sexually assaulted, although sometimes that happens. More often than not, our wounds stem from the day-to-day -day frustrations and mishaps and heartaches of life. In fact, many times they would fall into what we would call a category of irritation. You know, the neighbor has a party and you didn't make the guest list. A bunch of your friends went away for the weekend to the beach and you didn't get invited. You did something nice for someone, and they didn't seem to appreciate it. You didn't make the team. You didn't get the promotion. Your husband didn't notice your new hairdo. 
you had a date with someone and you really enjoyed them, then you never heard from them again. And when those things happen, we get irritated, discouraged, and hurt, and wounded, and it festers. And if it's a relationship, it's like it gets infected. But what does Psalm 100 verse 3 say? It is he who has made us, he who made us, we are his, we are the sheep of his pasture. Do you know what this verse is saying? It's saying that the good shepherd will do for us what the Palestinian shepherd in the day of David did for the sheep. He's going to tend you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to treat your wound. He's going to bring healing. So when you get disappointed, those irritations of life, before you go anywhere else with that disappointment, because you know what we like to do? We like to talk to everybody about it, don't we? We want to tell our family what happened. We want to tell a friend what happened. We want to tell a coworker what happened. We want to tell a, a you know we want to tell a neighbor how we were mistreated, or we want to get a counseling appointment, or we want to we want to get an appointment with the pastor. Before you do any of those things, first of all, go to the good shepherd. That would be the first step, and then second, just like the sheep, you have to assume the position. In other words, the the sheep it had to stand still. The sheep had to lower its head. And the sheep had to allow the good shepherd to do his work. In the same way, we go humbly before God. We tell him boldly what we want, but we also pray for what is right. See, we learned this from Jesus. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, this is what I want. This would be my preference, but again, not my will, your will be done. And we pray that way, and then we trust him for what he's going to give us. You see, the sheep had no idea why the oil repelled the flies. They weren't chemists. They didn't understand that. They had no idea how the oil healed their wounds. They didn't have a medical degree. This is all the sheep knew. The sheep knew this. Man, when I humble myself before our shepherd, something good happens. And that's all we need to know as well. When we come to our good shepherd, when we bow before him, when we trust him, something good always happens. And that leads to the fourth promise. The good shepherd pours out his blessings liberally. He pours out his blessings. Psalm 23, verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me. The second phrase was, In the presence of my enemies. The third phrase, You anoint my head with oil. But notice the fourth one, My cup overflows. I like how it says it in the New Living Translation, My cup overflows with blessing. You see, that's what's so great about our God. That's what's so great about our Good Shepherd. We come, we bow, we trust. And our amazing God pours his blessing into our life until it begins to overflow. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, Mike, you don't know my story. Because I don't feel like God's blessings are overflowing in my life. In fact, I feel like his judgment on my life is what's overflowing. His condemnation of my life, that's what's overflowing. I don't feel his blessing. Well, let me tell you what the problem is, especially the culture we live in today. The problem is that sometimes our lives are so filled with other things there's just no room in our life for God's blessing. I mean, we're so full of self. We're so full of pride. We're so full of ego. We're so full of our own agenda. We're so full of our own plans. We're so full of our own dreams. And our shepherd wants nothing more than just to pour his blessing into our life. But there's so much junk in our lives, there's no room for his blessings. So at some point, we have to empty ourselves. We have to clean house. We have to look at our priorities. We have to look at our value. We have to rearrange and reorganize some things because, see, when we empty ourselves, then God can pour in his blessing. When we empty ourselves, God can begin to work in our lives. But I'll tell you something, and I learned this the hard way. God cannot work in our lives if there's no room for him to work.
Did you know a pastor can fill his life so much with ministry that there's no room for God to work in his life personally? I had to learn that the hard way. But one of my favorite verses is in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. By the way, that's a verse on spiritual warfare. That's a, that's a reference to Satan. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life, that they might have life and have it to the full. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And this was Jesus saying, I'm going to die to make my promise to you of having life and having it to the full, making that promise a reality. I'm going to die. I like the way the New American Standard says it better. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. The only negative with that, we hear the word abundantly and we think prosperity, and we think that way because we, we connect abundance with things. We think abundance with stuff, you know. Abundance, well, that means a fat wallet. That means a good job, well-paying job, financial security. And unfortunately, we've read something into Jesus' comment that he never meant to say here. See, this is what Jesus was saying. He's saying, when a person begins to follow me, when they actually allow me to be their good shepherd, he says, I'm going to give him, I'm going to give her the things in life that cannot be purchased. I mean, think about it. Money will buy you a great bed, but money can't buy you a good night's sleep. Money can buy you a great education, but it can't buy you wisdom. I mean, we all know some highly educated idiots, right? Right, don't we? Money can buy you a beautiful house. It can't buy you a home. Money can buy you silence and tranquility. It can allow you to get on a jet, a private jet, fly somewhere to Bora Bora, have a little hut out over the ocean. But you know what it can't buy you? Even there, it can't buy you peace. But Jesus says, the abundant life that I hold out to you, it includes peace, it includes purpose, it includes destiny, it includes adventure, it includes the, the joy. Think about this, the joy of being able to face death without fear. The ability to handle affliction with incredible confidence. Jesus says, the sheep that respond to me, they find an abundant life. Now, just so you know, that's the good shepherd's dream for your life. So understand, the table's been set. I mean, the shepherd's already gone before you and painstakingly prepared the way for you. Hey, he's going to lead you to the table, and he gives you permission to eat. But when you come right down to it, it's our choice whether or not we're going to graze. And this is where, like a sheep, sometimes I just want to butt my head against the wall. It amazes me how many of you will walk out of one of our campuses this weekend and you will, re, you will go right back to wandering and roaming and moaning and groaning and you'll wonder why nothing changes in your life. So here's the question. Are you grazing on what God has prepared for you? Are you taking the time to enjoy God's goodness daily? Are you spending your entire life like on a treadmill trying to somehow manufacture your own goodness to enjoy. I mean, you are just spending your life pursuing one thing after another, hoping that finally something will bring some sense of satisfaction. Yet it's a dead end every time. You will only find this peace that we're talking about, this purpose, this destiny, when you assume the position, when you humbly bow and say, not only are you my savior, 
but you're my shepherd. And I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust in your promises. You lead, I'll follow. In fact, you're going to discover over the next few weeks that is the number one and only secret to enjoying the abundant life that God has dreamt up for you. You got to follow. Father, thank you. Thank you for simple promises from your word. From this psalm that we've quoted and we talk about anointing our heads and we have no idea what all is going on. But now we can begin to see where you're working in our lives. And Father, there's, there's a lot of angst after the, another shooting. There was the shooting at the, the Jewish synagogue in Pittsburgh. There was the election and the horrible thing about elections is always there's somebody that wins, there's somebody that loses, loses and that, which means there's just more division. Father, help us to look past this to you, to you. And allow you to pour out your blessings in our lives so that we can experience the abundant life. You gave us your son to be the good shepherd. He laid down his life for the sheep. And he's promised us he did it so we could live a life of abundance. May we claim that and may we live it. In your name we pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus.